to uh, open your Bibles to Psalm 107. This Thursday, our nation will celebrate Thanksgiving, the day in which we're called to express our thanks to God for the blessings and says that we need to give thanks on this day. You know, the world has changed Thanksgiving into Turkey Day and um, because they don't want to be thankful, ultimately. It's one of the, the greatest sins of, of our nation. And yet, we're called to be thankful. The, the Scriptures tell us to give thanks to the Lord. Psalm 107, it's a, it's a call for the redeemed to give thanks to the Lord. There's no better, more appropriate psalm for us to study this Lord's Day. So I read, I'm going to read the entire psalm and uh, then we'll begin looking into it. The psalmist writes, So give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from the hand of the adversary and gathered from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a desert region, They did not find a way to an inhabited city. They were hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them out of their distresses. He led them also by a straight way to go to an inhabited city. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His loving kindness and His wonders among the sons of men. For He has satisfied the thirsty soul, and the hungry soul He has filled with what is good. There were those who dwelt in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in misery and chains, because they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore He humbled their heart with labor. They stumbled, and there was none to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He saved them out of their distresses, He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their bands apart. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His loving kindness and for His wonders to the sons of men. For He has shattered gates of bronze and cut bars of iron asunder. Fools, because of their rebellious way and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all kinds of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He saved them out of their distresses. He sent His Word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His loving kindness and for His wonders to the sons of men. Let them also offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of His works with joyful singing. Those who go down to the sea in ships who do business on great waters... They have seen the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep, for He spoke and raised up a stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They rose up to the heavens. They went down to the depths. Their soul melted away in their misery. They reeled and staggered like a drunken man and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He brought them out of their distresses. He caused the storm to be still so that the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad because they were quiet, so He guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His loving kindness and for His wonders to the sons of men. Let them extol Him also in the congregation of the people and praise Him at the seat of the elders. He changes rivers into wilderness 
and springs of water into a thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who dwell in it. He changes a wilderness into a pool of water and a dry land into springs of water. And there He makes the hungry to dwell so that they may establish an inhabited city and sow fields and plant vineyards and gather a fruitful harvest. Also, He blesses them and they multiply greatly. And He does not let their cattle decrease. When they are diminished and bowed down through oppression, misery, and sorrow, He pours contempt upon princes and makes them wander in a pathless waste. But He sets the needy securely on high, away from affliction, and makes His families like a flock. The upright see it and are glad, but all unrighteousness shuts its mouth. Who is wise? Let him give heed to these things and consider the loving kindnesses of the Lord. Let's pray before we examine this psalm. Lord, I think here of this call to praise and would pray that You would take this call and apply it to the hearts and minds of those of us here at Rock Valley Bible Church. Lord, we need to be thankful people. We need to be reminded of that again and again and again. Lord, because our hearts are prone to wander from our thanksgiving. Our hearts are are prone to think that we deserve what we have. And our hearts are, are mysteriously wandering. And so, Lord, I would pray that even as I open up this psalm now, that You would be gracious and, and bless the preaching of Your Word. Lord, cause it to fall upon ears that hear, that gladly receive it, that rejoice in this day. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I have a book here I want to introduce my message with this morning. It's called Of Plymouth Plantation. You ever heard of this book, read this book? Yeah, I know the gardens probably have read this book. At least Jennifer has, surely. <laughs> but uh, it's, a, it's a book that describes the, uh, the difficulties in England and Holland that the early pilgrims had, their uh, <clears throat> voyage on the Mayflower, and then their settling in the new country. And I, I want to pick up the story. Um, 60 days, 65 days after they boarded the Mayflower to come, to America on November 11th, 1620, they landed. And uh, William Bradford wrote this, being thus arrived in a good harbor and brought safe to land, describing these who went on land first, he said, they fell upon their knees and blessed the God of heaven who had brought them over the vast and furious ocean and delivered them from all the perils and misery thereof again to set their feet on the firm and stable earth, their proper element. And then he, he said, before he continued on, he said, I stand half amazed at this poor people's present condition. He's talking about his, his own condition and how difficult it is. He says, being thus past the vast ocean and a sea of troubles before in their preparation... He's talking about in Holland and England, which caused them even to come. He said, They had now no friends to welcome them, nor inns to entertain or refresh their weather-beaten bodies, no houses or much less town to repair to, to seek for help. It is recorded in Scripture as a mercy to the apostle and his shipwreck company that the barbarians showed them no small kindness in refreshing them, 
But these savage barbarians, when they met with them, were readier to fill their sides with arrows than otherwise. And for the season it was winter. And they that know the winters of that country know them to be sharp and violent and to subject to, and subject to cruel and fierce storms, dangerous to travel to known places, much more to search an unknown coast. Besides, what could they see but a hideous and desolate wilderness full of wild beasts and wild men and what multitudes there might be of them they knew not? For summer being done, all things stand upon them with a weather-beaten face and the whole country full of woods and thickets represented a wild and savage hue. If they looked behind them, there was a mighty ocean which they had passed and now as a main bar and gulf to separate them from all the civil parts of the world. And then he gets to the point. What could now sustain them but the Spirit of God and His grace? May not and ought not the children of these fathers rightly say, sort of us, maybe we're not all direct children, but he's, he's talking to us in the land. Might we look back and say of these people, our fathers were Englishmen which came over this great ocean and were ready to perish in this wilderness. But they cried unto the Lord and He heard their voice and looked on their adversity. Let them therefore praise the Lord because He is good and His mercy endures forever. Yea, let them which have been redeemed of the Lord show how He hath delivered them from the hand of the oppressor when they wandered in the desert wilderness out of the way and found no city to dwell in, both hungry and thirsty. Their soul was overwhelmed in them. Let them confess before the Lord His loving kindness and His wonderful works before the sons of men. And perhaps you recognize the psalm that he quoted right there at the end. Let them confess before the Lord His loving kindness and His wonderful works before the sons of men. That is Psalm 107, verse 8. And William Bradford, as he landed there in America, was drawn really to this psalm because it so expressed the difficulty that these um, people would face. And as they look back, they can say, we were in great difficulty and great Great trouble, but we cried to the Lord and, and He delivered us and answered us. Therefore, we will give thanks. And uh, that is what we do this Thanksgiving holiday. I thought it good to focus our minds and attention upon this psalm. This psalm is really a pretty simple psalm. It begins with three verses of introduction calling us to give thanks to the Lord. And then it gives four testimonies of those who um, experience the kindness of the Lord. And then it concludes, verses 33 and through 43, talking about the providence of God. And each of these testimonies, right, they affirm the trouble they were in and their cry and the affirmation of God's sovereign help. And then they gave praise unto God. And really, this is my aim this morning, is verse 43, which says, Who is wise? I want all of us this morning to be wise. It says, Who is wise? Let him give heed to these things. Let him listen to the testimony that other people gave of God's saving hand. And let them consider, as verse 43 says, the loving kindnesses of the Lord. So my aim this morning, I want you to consider the loving kindnesses of the Lord, that you would trust Him in all your ways, and that this week would really be a time which you express your thanks and praise unto Him. Well, let's look at my first point this morning. I'm calling it a call to give thanks. 
found in verses 1 through 3. I want to read them again for you. It says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from the hand of the adversary and gathered from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. We have here a simple call to give thanks to the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. It's calling all of us to be those who would give thanks and praise to our God. The reason is simple. It's twofold. First of all, He's good. Our God is not an evil God. Our God is a good God. And what it means He's a good God, it means that everything noble in us can affirm everything that He does. It's not anything that He does that we ought to question in any way because it's morally evil in any way. What He does is good. In fact, even we'll see in verses 33 and 34, even when He takes rivers and changes them into wilderness, it still is a a good thing. When He takes fruitful lands, turns it to a salt waste, it's because of the wickedness of those who dwell in it. God still shows forth His goodness at these times. Also, the second reason why we give thanks to the Lord is because His loving kindness is, is everlasting. It means God is patient with His people. This word loving kindness, the Hebrew word chesed, means it's His covenant, faithfulness, and fidelity to His people. And forever God will be known as one who extends His faithfulness to those who trust and follow Him. His loving kindness is everlasting. It knows no end. And then verse 2, we see those who are, who are to give thanks. It's not just anybody. It's the redeemed of the Lord. In other words, the psalmist is, is calling upon those who have tasted and seen the goodness of God and have experienced His delivering hand from the hand of the adversary. Right? It's let the redeemed of the Lord say so. The psalmist isn't calling those in the world who know nothing of God's grace in their lives to give thanks. He's not calling those who hate God and are His enemies to give thanks. No, on the contrary, He's calling those who have been redeemed of the Lord. In fact, the redeemed word here is used twice, right? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from the hand of the adversary. In other words, He's calling those who have seen their peril and have turned to the Lord for help and have experienced His saving hand. These are those who are to call upon the Lord to give thanks to Him. And the call really goes out to all who have experienced God's redemption. Verse 3 indicates how far it's gone. It says, He's gathered from the lands, from the east and from the west, and from the north and from the south. God's working among the sons of men hasn't ever been localized to one geographic location. Oh, the people in Israel thought so. They thought thought, um, that Jerusalem and the the temple was the place. In fact, you can read in Acts chapter 7, of uh, Stephen going through and talking about all the different ways that God has worked in different places. Right? He called Abram out of the Ur of the Chaldeans, right? which is way far in the east. The Scriptures talk about how God redeemed uh, the people of Israel from the Philistines who were notoriously known for being in the west. When God brought His people back from exile in Babylon, it was from the north. And when God delivered from Egypt, it was from the south. So even Israel themselves, they were redeemed from the north, the south, the east, and the west. They were to gather and, and give thanks to the Lord. But beyond the nation of Israel, God's saving work has extended really throughout the world. Revelation 5.9 that says that Christ has redeemed men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. 
And the call of the redeemed in verse 2 really goes out throughout the whole earth. Whoever is called upon the name of the Lord and found him to be true ought to heed these words and give thanks to the Lord. And you know, this is something which shouldn't be difficult for you to do. It shouldn't be an excruciating experience for you. It should be easy. If you've experienced God's redeeming hand in your life, quite frankly, it'll probably be more difficult to remain silent than it is to um, speak forth your praise. Our families recently read through several of the Gospel accounts. We're now reading through Acts together. And I've been reminded afresh of, of how easy it is for those who've been redeemed to, to give great thanks and testimony to the Lord of, of God's kindness for them. I mean, think about the leper. Jesus came to him, healed him of his leprosy, and Jesus said, see to it that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer your cleansing that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Jesus says, don't tell anybody, just go show yourself to the priest. I've often wondered why it is that Jesus said, don't tell anybody, but Mark makes it clear. Because if, if the leper would go out and tell everyone what happened, right, mobs of people would, would mob Jesus. And he couldn't move. And he'd have to be forced out to the countryside. But he came to preach. And he wanted to preach to the people. And the people were in the city. And so to be forced out to the countryside was, was difficult. But anyway, Mark tells us, Mark 1, verse 45, <clears throat> of how this leper went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news abroad to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas. And I ask you this, why did this man disobey Jesus? He couldn't help it. He couldn't help but to give testimony of all that the Lord had done for him. Consider also the man who was deaf and spoke with difficulty. Mark 7 tells the story. Jesus opened his ears and his tongue was was um, loosed and he spoke freely and Jesus gave him strict orders not to tell anybody. Mark tells us, Mark 7, verse 36, that the more Jesus ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. Because those who have been redeemed can't help but to give thanks to the Lord. In the early church, the apostles couldn't help themselves either but to proclaim what the Lord had done for them. Maybe you remember the time Peter and John stood before the Sanhedrin. They were told by the authorities not to speak or to teach anymore in the name of Jesus. And the apostles replied, Acts 4, verse 20, Whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. From their perspective, it was impossible not to stop speaking about everything that they had seen and heard. 1 John chapter 1, verse 3 says, What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. And that's what the apostles did. We've seen it, we've heard it. We've experienced it, and that's what we are proclaiming to you. And that is what Psalm 107 calls us to do. If you've been redeemed, you can't shut your mouth. Your mouth will go forth and speak and tell of everything the Lord has done for you. Right? If you've been redeemed from your sins... If you've known the saving power of God in your life, you've experienced the kindness of the Lord, and this morning I'm calling you to give thanks to the Lord, just tell of your experience. Just tell of the things that you have experienced in the hand of God. In fact, do you know why God saves anybody at all? Why does God save? 
He saves us that we might forever be those who give witness to others of His kindness to us. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. He said to the scattered tribes, He said, But you are a chosen race. These are Gentiles even as well. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Right? Do you hear what, hear what he's saying? He's saying that God has shown you great mercy. He's called you out of darkness and brought you into His marvelous light. He's chosen you to be a people, though you weren't born that way. He's created you to be His own people. And He does all this so that you might proclaim His excellencies. He redeems us so we would be mouthpieces speaking of the glories of God. And that's everything that Psalm 107 is about. He redeems you so that you become a mouthpiece. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. And I call you Rock Valley Bible Church. As many of you have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ to call out and cry out and give thanks unto His name. Well, that's my first point this morning. I want to proceed now to my my second point. My first point was a call to give thanks. My second point this morning is four testimonies of deliverance. Beginning with verse 4, we're going to see the psalmist give four different scenarios and situations in which people were in distress and darkness and turmoil and trouble. And, And then they cried out to the Lord in their calamity and God delivered them and thus the psalmist calls them to give thanks to the Lord. And though each of these testimonies are very broad, and though each of these testimonies you'll find difficult, maybe exactly at a place in the history of Israel, the point is that it's bigger than Israel. The point is that many people have experienced these things. You know, these testimonies here are powerful. I remember um, hearing the testimony of John MacArthur tells the story of the time when he was merely reading through Psalm 107 and a man named Robert was converted. Robert had been part of the gay activist community in Los Angeles. He lived in that lifestyle for many years. And he was so involved that he even helped plan the gay pride parade in Los Angeles. <coughs> and through that lifestyle, Robert became HIV positive was given only a brief time to live. And he knew that he was going to die and he was afraid to die. And he he asked a friend, where can I go for help? And the friend somehow said, go to Grace Community Church. And so he attended a worship service at the church. And for those of you who attended worship there, I know Jake you have and the Robines have. And uh, maybe some other you have attended worship out there in, uh, in California. It's customary for... John MacArthur to read a portion of Scripture in the service, usually a psalm, and after reading the psalm, he then prays. And um, when Robert came to church on that Sunday, the psalm that John MacArthur read was Psalm 107. And it was the reading of this psalm that God used in his life to bring him to himself. A few weeks later, he was baptized at Grace Community Church, giving testimony of how the Lord saved him. And in his testimony, he said, 
When the pastor read verse 7, he led them by a straight way. He said, I knew this was a place. He came in verse 14. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their bands apart. He shattered the gates of bronze. He cut the bars of iron asunder. When Robert heard those words, he knew that the Lord could save him from this lifestyle. It was only a few months later that HIV took his life and he passed into glory. But that's how powerful this psalm is. That's how powerful these testimonies are. That's how powerful your testimony is as a redeemed child of God. Never underestimate the power of telling the unconverted of God's saving work in your life. It's powerful. Well, here we have these testimonies. Almost every single one of them is the same. Four testimonies, almost all the same. Now, now it's not that their circumstances were the same because their circumstances really were quite different. The particulars of their deliverance was, was varied. But the pattern of their circumstances were always the same. You might put four words in mind. Keep four words in mind. You might write them on your notes. You might write them in your Bible. Four words. Trouble, cry, deliverance, testimony. Trouble, cry, deliverance, testimony. These people always encountered some type of trouble that took them to a point of desperation. Trouble. And and then in their trouble, they cried to the Lord. Crying to the only one who could help. And, And after they cried, the Lord delivered them. He saved them. He redeemed them. And finally then, there was a a call to give testimony of the Lord's saving goodness. Let me just show you how this works out in our first testimony here in verse 4. We read here in verse 4, the trouble in verses 4 and 5. They wandered in the wilderness in a desert region and did not find a way to an inhabited city. They were hungry and thirsty and their soul fainted within them. There's the trouble. Wandering, hungry, thirsty, soul fainting. And then they... They cried to the Lord for help. Verse 6, first half. And then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And then comes the third part of all these testimonies. He delivered them. He delivered them out of their distresses. He led them also by a straight way to go to an inhabited city. And then we see a call to give testimony to this. Verses 8 and 9. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His loving kindness and His wonders to the sons of men. For He has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul He has filled with good. Those four things. Trouble, cry, deliverance, testimony. Let's look at the second testimony. Verse 10. There were those who dwelt in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in misery and chains because they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, He humbled their heart with labor. They stumbled and there was none to help. There's their trouble. Prisoners in darkness, stumbling. And then what they do? Trouble. What's the next word, kids? Cry. Right? They cry to the Lord. First half of verse 13. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. Then the next word comes what? Deliverance. Right? He saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness in the shadow of death and broke their bands apart. And a testimony, right? Let them give thanks to the Lord for His loving kindness, for His wonders to the sons of men. He has shattered the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron asunder. You know, and the, the same thing occurs in verses 17 to 22. 
trouble and cry and deliverance and testimony. Perhaps in your Bible you can even see it there. It might be separated. In verses 23 through 32, we have the same exact thing. We have a cry, we have trouble and then a cry and then a, a deliverance and then a testimony. In fact, so much the same are these that several of the verses in the psalm are exactly alike. Right? Consider verse 6. And in my Bible, I just box this verse in because it helps to show all these verses are exactly the same. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them out of their distresses. Then I boxed in 13. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and He saved them out of all their distresses. Then I boxed in verse 19. And then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them out of their distresses. And I boxed in verse 28. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and He brought them out of all of their distresses. Right? You get a pattern? You see it? Crying to the Lord and having Him deliver them. And this call to give testimony of thanks is repeated four times as well. The same verse. And I've boxed these verses in as well because they're the same. It helps visually in my Bible to be able to see what's going on. Verse 8. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His loving kindness and for His wonders to the sons of men. Verse 15, let them give thanks to the Lord for His loving kindness and for His wonders to the sons of men. Verse 21, let them give thanks to the Lord for His loving kindness and His wonders to the sons of men. Verse 31, let them give thanks to the Lord for His loving kindness and for His wonders to the sons of men. And I'm calling you Rock Valley Bible Church this Thanksgiving holiday to give thanks to the Lord and tell others of His wonders among the sons of men. And just just tell others. Tell your kids. Tell your family when you gather together of what great things the Lord has done for you. Well, let's look at our first testimony this morning. It comes in verses 4-9. through nine. I want to kind of dig into this a little bit more and then we'll hear of a testimony from someone who experienced these things. We see the the trouble in verses 4 and 5. Right? The trouble here is that the people here were wandering They were wandering in the wilderness in a desert region. Now, what comes into our mind perhaps might be Israel wandering in the wilderness after they've been redeemed from the slavery in Egypt, just kind of wandering aimlessly on on several occasions. They were indeed hungry, as verse 5 says. They were indeed thirsty. The Lord indeed did deliver them out of all their distresses and eventually He led them to the promised land right, where there was peace and safety. When you talk here about the inhabited city, in the days in which the Bible is written, cities were a place of safety. It was the countrysides that were dangerous because there's safety in numbers. And you can have a city with a wall that's protected around, but out in the countryside, there's no one to protect you. And so here's the picture. You're wandering and looking for a safe and steady and secure place. And finally brought them into a, a steady place. But there's more going on here than merely Israel's wandering in the, the wilderness. We see here in verse 5 that that it was their soul that fainted within them. They had a, a hungry and thirsty soul. In fact, if you look at verse 9, it says, He satisfied the thirsty soul, and the hungry soul He has filled with what is good. You know, it wasn't just physically out in the wilderness someplace. It was spiritual desertness, spiritual barrenness He's talking about here as well. This verse is talking about the thirsty soul, and as Jesus promised, right, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Talk about being satisfied in your soul, and that's what's being talked about here. These people who are wandering were satisfied in, in their soul. 
perhaps brings to mind not only Israel in Egypt, but also might bring to mind the, the Babylonian captivity. Right? When they, they kind of wandered around, right? When they came back, Ezra brought them back into the city of Jerusalem to try to rebuild, and they were, were wandering and trying to rebuild, and the enemies were stopping them, and they wrote letters to the king, and the building was going, and it was stopping, and, and they're just wandering. But the Lord came and delivered them. And I, I just think it's difficult to pin down if the psalmist has a uh, historical precedent in mind. I, I think it's bigger than that. I think it's a general testimony applicable to all who've wandered aimlessly in their life. It's a testimony to all who have have reached some physical wanderings, maybe some disease, maybe some wearing away, or maybe some discouragement, maybe some wandering of their soul. This testimony is good for that. But at some point, right, they reach a point where they are nowhere left to turn but to the Lord. These people turn to the Lord and God delivers them. And so this morning, I, I have invited somebody to come and give us a testimony of wandering in the wilderness. Oh, it's not anybody that you know, but it's somebody that you've heard of. Have you heard of uh, John Bunyan? John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress, one of the most widely read of all books of literature. This is autobiography here. It's called Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. It's really a short book, maybe 100 pages, 120 pages long. And if anything... Uh, characterizes John Bunyan in this book. It is wandering pages and pages and pages and pages. He described how he, he wandered in life and was aimless and never found the Lord. And it cast him into depression and, and anguish of soul. His soul was literally hungry and thirsty. I want to read for you his, um, his testimony. John Bunyan, 1600s he lived. He's going to give us his testimony. He said... Uh, Upon a time, I was something inclining to consumption. I'm just feeling ill, you know, perhaps even close to dying. He said, wherewith about the spring, I was suddenly and violently seized with much weakness in my outward man, insomuch that I thought that I could not live. Now began I afresh to give myself up to the serious examination of my state and condition for the future and of my evidences for that blessed world to come. For it hath, I bless the name of the Lord, been my usual course as always, so especially in the day of affliction, to endeavor to keep my interest in the life to come clear before my eyes. But I had no sooner began to recall to mind my former experiences of the goodness of God to my soul than there came flocking to mind an innumerable company of my sins and transgressions among which these were at this time most to my affliction, namely my deadness, dullness, and coldness in my holy duties, my wanderings of heart, so he talks about, my wearisomeness in all good things, my want of love to God, His ways and people, with this at that, the end of all. Are these the fruits of Christianity? Are these tokens of a blessed man? At the apprehension of these things, my sickness was doubled upon me, For now I was sick in my inward man, and my soul was clogged with guilt. Physical wanderings, sicknesses, spiritual distresses. Now also were my former experiences of God's goodness to me quite taken out of mind and hid as if I'd never been or seen. Now was my soul greatly pinched between these two considerations. Live I must, die I dare not. And now I sunk and fell in my spirit 
and was giving up all for lost. But as I was walking up and down my house, as a man in a most woeful state, that Word of God took hold of my heart. Ye are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Romans 3.24 But oh, what a turn it made upon me! Now was I as one awakened out of some troublesome sleep and dream and listening to this heavenly sentence. I was as if I heard thus spoken to me, Sinner! You think that because of your sins and infirmities I cannot save your soul? But behold, my Son is by me, and I look upon Him and not on you, and shall deal with you according as I am pleased with Him. At this I was greatly enlightened in my mind and made to understand that God could justify a sinner at any time. It was but looking upon Christ and imputing His benefits to us And the work was forthwith done. And then he gives a testimony at the end of this chapter. He said, Blessed be God for having mercy on me. It's a wandering testimony of one who is wandering in the wilderness, finding no hope, looking for it, groping for it, hungry as soul, and yet he eventually was satisfied. And maybe this day finds you in a state of wandering and searching and agonizing and hungering and thirsting of soul. Maybe you find yourself in this day in coldness and weariness without love to God. I exhort you simply to do what John Bunyan did. He cried out to the Lord in his trouble. He was delivered from his wandering ways. Right? Learn from the testimony of Bunyan. Look to Jesus. He alone is the only one who can satisfy a hungering and thirsting soul. His sacrifice alone is able to justify you and to give you His righteousness. And I just say this, you'll continue to wander in your ways. You'll continue to feel hungering and thirsting for your soul until you look to Christ. And that is the point of Psalm 107. It's calling us to give thanks to the Lord because we have been redeemed. And as the redeemed do so, listen, it's a call to the unconverted to see the ways of God, that He's faithful to those who call upon Him in truth. You know what? We act and we talk so others might hear. And you'll probably have an opportunity this Thanksgiving time, perhaps this Thursday, you gather with family together to give praise to the Lord, to give thanks to the Lord for how He's redeemed you. I encourage you to do that. Well, let's turn to our second testimony. Found in verses 10 through 16. First testimony, we saw wandering people. Now we see people who are prisoners. Right, look there in verse 10. It says, Those who dwelt in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in misery and chains, because they rebelled against the Word of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, He humbled their heart with labor. They stumbled and there was none to help. The picture here is of those who have committed wrong. They've sinned and their sin has found them out. They've reached the bottom of their lives. Physically, perhaps bound in a dungeon as a prisoner, spiritually bound in misery and darkness because of their rebellion. And even the Lord's hand was upon them. As it says in verse 10, I'm sorry, not verse 10, verse 12, humbling their heart with labor and still stumbling and finding none to help. It's the mercy of God that brings you to a point of ultimate distress. Perhaps you remember the story of Manasseh in Second Chronicles chapter 33. He was a king of Israel, reigned 55 years, wicked man. Eventually, Babylon came and took him away, probably by a hook in the nose, put him down into the dungeon 
And it was only when he was in the dungeon that he cried out to the Lord. It was only when he was humbled by the Lord that he cried out in his distress and God heard his prayer and restored him. It was at that point it says in Second Chronicles 33 that Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. And that's what God was doing these people, humbling their heart with labor, causing them to have no other place to turn except, here we see verse 13, the cry. They cried to the Lord in their trouble and God delivered them. He saved them out of their distresses. He broke them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their bands apart. You know, and here even we see in verse 14 just about how it's more than just physical um, physical punishment. It's more than just physically in prison someplace. It is a spiritual trouble as well. They were taken out of darkness. They were in the shadow of death and God brought them to see the light. And again, this is the pattern. It says in verse 15 that they ought to give thanks to the Lord for His loving kindness and for His wonders to the sons of men. Why? Because He has shattered gates of bronze and He has cut bars of iron asunder. Now, as you think about this, you start saying, okay, now is this Israel? You know, there was a time, it might have an allusion to Israel when there were slaves in Egypt. It was a dark time for Israel. Maybe some of them were imprisoned. Perhaps maybe closer at this point might be the time of Babylonian captivity. Some of them were taken in chains like King Manasseh was, taken in chains and bound in Babylon. But it, but it is difficult to really say that's the only testimony it's referring to this here. I think it's broader than that, this one particular episode. And I think it's talking about all who are bound. Spiritually bound in their sin in darkness, right? Not necessarily wandering, right? First one was wandering. Those who are just wandering around a wasteless place. Now kind of those who are like bound and kind of stuck and feel cloistered. That's what this is talking about. And again, I, I've invited another witness to come to us this morning. You don't know him. Rather than going back to the 1600s, I want to go back to the 1800s. I want you to hear the testimony of George Mueller. You guys have heard of George Mueller. And I want to read a, a testimony of him because his is, is much the same. He grew up in a religious home, but he wasn't converted. In fact, uh, George Mueller's testimony is his father and his brothers weren't converted either, but they were at least religious. And he loved traveling because in traveling it allowed him to sin. He said <clears throat> here in his autobiography, this one's a little bit more difficult to read, all right? It's a little longer. But it says, in November, <clears throat> I was on a pleasure excursion to a place called Mad Magdeburg, where I spent six days in much sin. And then he went to Brunswick, he said, through a number of lies he kind of got there. He went there because he had this friend, this female friend that he had a strong attachment to, who had a relationship with. He wanted to go and spend some time with her. He spent a, a week at Brunswick in an expensive hotel. Then all of his money is gone. Here's what George Mueller says. He's about 16 years old at this point. He says, I then went without money to another hotel in a village near Brunswick where I spent another week in an expensive way of living. At last, the owner of the hotel, suspecting I had no money, asked for payment. And I was obliged to leave my best clothes as a security and could scarcely thus escape from being arrested. I then walked about six miles to Wolfenbüttel. And uh, there he went to an inn and began again to live as if I had plenty of money. Here I stayed two days looking out for an opportunity to run away 
For I had now nothing remaining to leave as a pledge, but the window of my room was too high to allow my escaping by getting down at night. On the second or third morning, I went quietly out of the yard and then ran off. Right? Because you kind of see him sneaking away because he doesn't have any money to pay for this thing. But being suspected and observed and therefore seen to run off, I was immediately called after and so I had to return. I now confessed my case but found no mercy. I was arrested and taken between two soldiers to a police officer. Being suspected by him to be a vagabond or a thief, I was examined for about three hours and then sent to jail. I now found myself at the age of 16 an inmate of the same dwelling with thieves and murderers and treated accordingly. And here he says, My superior manners profited me nothing. That's what he said. There he was in jail. And he was in jail for a month before they finally got word back to his father and his father could send him the money to be able to pay his hotel bills. They paid his hotel bills. And as soon as he was released, yes, there was some outward reformation, but he continued in his wicked ways. And in fact, he tells, he said, I've grown now so wicked I could habitually tell lies without blaspheming. And then he tells a story. I'm going to skip over the story for the sake of time. But he, he talks about how he at one point got some money from his father, but he had owed so many people so many debts. He was in such a, um, such a difficult situation that what he did was he, he um, pretended like he was robbed and pretended like his uh, chest was broken into. And he, he went about spreading this lie that he had been robbed. And his friends then gave him money enough to compensate for all the money that he supposedly lost. And he felt very bad and convicted and dark of spirit and soul. So he was, he was prisoned physically and even spiritually as well. <clears throat> but that didn't really help him. He had friendship with a man named Beta. He went off and took a trip to Switzerland and even traveled all around with this man and, and lived in their sinful ways and was traveling around. And then finally, he tells of his conversion this. He says, The time has now come when God would have mercy upon me. His love had been set upon such a wretch as I was before the world was made. His love had sent His Son to bear punishment on account of my sins and to fulfill the law which I had broken times without number. And now at a time when I was as careless about Him as ever, He sent His Spirit into my heart. I had no Bible and not read it for years. I went to a church, but seldom. But from custom, I took the Lord's Supper twice a year. And then one Saturday afternoon, about the middle of November of 1825, I'd taken a walk with my friend Beta and our... On our return, he said to me that he was in the habit of going Saturday evenings to a house of a Christian where there was a meeting. On further inquiry, he told me that read the Bible, sang, prayed, and read a printed sermon. No sooner had I heard this than it was to me as if I'd found something after which I'd been seeking all my life long. I immediately wished to go with my friend who was not at once willing to take me for knowing me as a wild young man he thought I would not like this meeting. At last, however, he said that he would call for me. We went together in the evening as I did not know the manner of believers and the joy they have of seeing poor sinners, even in any measure caring about the things of God. I made an apology for coming. The kind of answer this dear brother I shall never forget. He said, come as often as you please. House and heart are open to you. We sat down and sang a hymn. Then Brother Kaiser, afterwards a missionary in Africa in connection with the London Missionary Society, who was then living at the hall, hall, fell on his knees and asked a blessing over our meeting. This kneeling down made a deep impression on me, for I had never either seen anyone on his knees 
nor had I ever prayed myself on my knees. He then read a chapter in a printed sermon, for no regular meetings for expounding the Scriptures were allowed in Prussia except an ordained clergyman was present. At the close, we sang another hymn, and then the master of the house prayed. And whilst he prayed, my feeling was much something like this. I could not pray as well, though I am much more learned than this illiterate man. The whole made a deep impression on me. I was happy. Though if I had been asked why I was happy, I could not have clearly explained it. When we walked home, I said to Beta, all we have seen on our journey to Switzerland and all our former pleasures are as nothing in comparison with this evening. <laughs> There's a converted soul that so loved the gathering of the people of God far more than the beauties of the Alps of Switzerland. Whether I fell on my knees when I returned home, I do not remember, but this I know, that I lay peaceful and happy in my bed. This shows that the Lord may begin His work in different ways, for I have not the least doubt that on that evening He began a work of grace in me, though I obtained joy without any deep sorrow of heart and without any knowledge. That evening was the turning point in my life. Then he said this, he said, What all the exhortations and precepts of my fathers and others could not affect, what all my own resolutions could not bring about, even to renounce a life of sin and profligacy, if that's right, I was enabled to do so, constrained by the love of Jesus. The individual who desires to have his sins forgiven must seek it through the blood of Jesus. The individual who desires to get power over sin must likewise seek it through the blood of Jesus. And you know what George Mueller did, right? Orphanages in England. Um, numbers range from 100,000 orphans. I think 10,000 is probably accurately, but 10,000 orphans he brought up from childhood and little up and off and beyond the college or work or whatever. At one point in 1870, he had room he could house 2,000 orphans that he could take into his five huge houses that he had. He served the Lord faithfully for, I think, about 73 years. He served the Lord faithfully because 73 years later, his last Sunday ever in church, he had a chance to preach a sermon and the very last paragraph of his sermon before he passed away and went home after 73 years of faithful service to the Lord. And a bunch of pages, he says this, how our hearts should go forth continually in the deepest and liveliest gratitude to the Lord Jesus Christ for laying down His life for us, for shedding His blood for the remission of our sins, and how full of gratitude our hearts should be that now guilty, wicked transgressors that we are by nature and numberless though our transgressions have been, by the power of the blood of Christ have been made as clean, as spotless, as if we had never in our whole life been guilty of one sinful action, as if we had never uttered in our whole life one single unholy word, as if there had never been found in us a thought contrary to the mind of God. This is the position into which we are brought through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ so that during the remainder of our life and throughout eternity, never one single sin shall be brought against us. Oh, the precious blood of Christ. George Mueller was one who cried out to the Lord in his distress. The Lord heard him. The Lord answered him. And he was able to give great testimony to what God had done for his soul. 
Psalm 107 calls us to do that exact same thing. Be thankful for God's work of redemption in our heart. Well, um, I, I challenge you this morning to take this Thanksgiving day and use it as an opportunity